You are Locked On MLB Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. And here's your host, Aram Layton. This is a Locked On MLB Prospects, your go-to podcast on the future stars of Major League Baseball. As always, I'm your host, Arm Layton. I'm a prospect analyst and writer, as well as the founder of JustBaseball.com. And in today's episode, we are running through the Orioles system now, one of the best systems in baseball, top three, no doubt about it. And honestly, as I went through this top 10 and published the article on JustBaseball.com, where you can see the full write-ups and scouting grades on each of these top 10 prospects with a couple honorable mentions, I'm starting to realize that this system, this Orioles system, has a legitimate case to being the number one system in baseball. I think it's uh, three teams that you can really look at as a tier above everybody else, and that being the Orioles, the Mariners, and the Rays that are just elite, elite. Obviously, the Dodgers might be in that conversation as well, and then it's everybody else. It's amazing how much talent some of these systems have been able to compile. And what I like about the Orioles system is how they have the elite, elite prospects at the top, like the Adley Rutschmans and the Grayson Rodriguez's of the world. They have the really solid top 100, solidified top 100 guys like D.L. Hall, Gunnar Henderson, and even somebody like Colton Kowser at this point, I think, is a solidified top 100 guy. And then you have still guys right on the fringes of that top 100 list, like a Jordan Westberg and a Heston Kerstad, who I'm going to talk a little bit about as well and hoping that he'll be able to get back early in 2022, but hard to speculate on those types of things. And then the rest of this top 10 that I'm excited to get into because there is a great balance of the high floor bats that they have throughout the system, as well as the major upside guys. It's a good balance of upside and still high floor, which is important. I think in the world of prospects. So you know who I'm going to start with here. It's no surprise who the number one prospect is in this Orioles system. He's the number two prospect in baseball by our top 100 list at JustBaseball.com. Adley Rutschman, switch hitting catcher, 6'2", 220. He does everything. I mean, he does everything. You look across the board, got a 50 on his hit tool with a potential of a plus hit tool at 60. I just need to see a little bit more from the left side, which I will get into in a second when I start talking about what he does um, in terms of switch hitting. But a little bit of a discrepancy there that holds him back a hair. The power is incredible. I would put 65 on the raw power. The game power is 55 present, probably 60 in the future. He doesn't run great, but he's a catcher who's 6'2", and he runs pretty well with all things considered and relative to his size. And he was a kicker in college. He was a kicker at Oregon State, so he moves pretty well. He's athletic, and that's realized behind the dish where he's a plus defender, potential gold glove catcher, which is really interesting because you have such a high offensive profile, but also such a good defensive catcher. I love his swing from both sides. I think he is a great all-around hitter. You look at the numbers. There's not much analysis that I'm going to tell you here that you don't know already, right? Adley Rutschman is as good of a prospect as you're going to find. He's what you dream of as a scout. There's not much hesitation in drafting an Adley Rutschman. I mean, that's why he went number one overall in 2019. It's because of how much of just in the in the prospect world, obviously, there's no such thing as a shoe-in when it comes to being a successful big leaguer, but he's as close to a shoe-in as you're going to find with all of the tools across the board. Even if the offense doesn't totally translate 
translate the way we think it could. And the way we think it could is the numbers that we saw this year in the minor leagues, which was in 123 games between double A and triple A, he slashed 285, 397, 502. Walking a ton, not striking out much, only 90 Ks and 543 plate appearances, 23 homers, 75 driven in, 25 doubles. I mean, what else do you want from this guy? And what was amazing is actually getting called up to triple A. His numbers only got better. He was striking out even less. He was walking even more. 312 batting average, 405 on base at the triple A level. And Bowie, double A, he hit more home runs, and that's something to watch, but I'm not really going to put too much stock into 80 games in double A versus 43 games in triple A, but 18 home runs in double A, just five home runs in triple A. I still think that he's going to be a 25 home run guy in that range, 20 to 25. He'll push 30, I think, on the good years, but he's not one of those players that's going to be a routine 40 home run guy. I just don't think he's going to have that type of power output. But 25 to 30 home runs from a catcher who's getting on base at a super high clip and playing phenomenal defense, you'll take that any day of the week. My only small microscopic gripe, which is splitting hairs, but it's just if we're looking at the number two prospect in baseball, we're looking at everything here, right? And Adley's splits are interesting. And they're not bad in any way. It's not like they are uh, concerning. I would say Ozzie Albee's splits are to the point of concerning because he's so much better from the right side that you would almost prefer it. He's only a 700 and change OPS guy from the left side. And you know that you're going to hit three times more frequently, roughly from the left side than the right side, based on the numbers of how many lefties you're going to face versus righties. So that's something that I think should be considered for Ozzy Albies. Is, is it even worth it for him to switch hit? I don't think Adley's quite in that range, but we could see that happen in the big leagues because Adley from the left side, 825 OPS from the right side, 1060 OPS, 825 OPS is great. But what if that drops down a hair at the big league level? What if he's more in the 750 range from the left side? Now we're looking at a situation here where maybe it's better that Adley just sticks to the right side. But what if Adley really struggles right on right? Then it's a moot point. I don't know how he does right on right. And I'm not going to say here, drop the switch hitting. We're not at that point yet. He still got on base at a 377 clip from the left side. But it is something worth watching because when you hit seven home runs and 140 at-bats, from the right side, and you hit 16 home runs and 312 at-bats from the left side, you could kind of make the case that, okay, the power is consistent enough from both sides of the plate. What really stands out to me is the extra base hits, the consistency, the on-base percentage, 440 on-base percentage from the right side. 377 is phenomenal. 440 is different. That's different. And this wasn't unique to this year. He's always kind of had those splits. So I want to watch that moving forward. I'm not worried about it. And again, I am sincerely splitting hairs here. This is ridiculous to even talk about, but we're talking about one of the best prospects in all of baseball and one of the best catching prospects we've seen in a long time. So I'm going to be as nitpicky as I can. That's my only thing is how consistent our Adley splits going to be, because that's what could hold him back from being perennial all-star versus really, really good catcher. If you're only getting or putting up around a 785 OPS from the side you hit two thirds of the time from, or even more than that, then you're not going to quite hit your ceiling. So that's something that is super nitpicky, but overall, 
I mean, this guy's spectacular. He's able to drive the ball to all fields. His swing is so smooth and repeatable. And I'm surprised he actually has these, these splits because I think his swing from both sides is pretty similar and he repeats it well from both sides. So hopefully that's something that will kind of even out as we go on here. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if it continued to even out. The arm from behind the plate is spectacular. I've heard nothing but great things about the way he calls games. He's a good blocker. 285 with 25 homers and a high on base percentage is just That'll put him right at, and of course, good defense will put him right at the best catcher in baseball, essentially. If he's able to have that defense translate in the offensive numbers the way we think he can, he really is on that trajectory, especially as JT Real Muto ages a little bit. It'll be probably a battle between him and Will Smith, and I would take his defense over Will Smith right now. Uh, so it's it's a really good spot for the Orioles to have a catcher here that is ready to go next year. He's He should be maybe breaking camp at the start of the season. That's what it should be. I don't know if they're going to try to manipulate his service time. I don't know. I don't like to speculate on that. And there's a lot of factors that go into how aggressive teams are going to be with whether they want to slow the timelines. And of course, all of those things are going to come up in the CBA. So that'll remain to be seen. But I would be disappointed if he doesn't start the year in the big leagues. I think he's shown more than enough on both sides of the ball. Another guy that should be ready to go next year, frankly, I really expect him to be ready to go is Grayson Rodriguez. And Grayson Rodriguez comes in at number two in the Orioles system, number six overall prospect on our top 100. So the Orioles have number two and number six. That's plenty to be excited about right there. Grayson Rodriguez, I've talked about him so much on this podcast, dating back to the very beginning days of Locked On MLB Prospects. I've been talking about Grayson Rodriguez. He was one of my breakout candidates for this coming year. And breakout's probably the wrong word because he was already a phenomenal starting pitcher in the minor leagues. But he was one of my guys that I really felt like was going to be one of the best pitchers in minor league baseball and really assert himself as the guy. And he's ranked number one for me in the pitching category. Shane Boz right there. If you told me you think Shane Boz is better than him and when we're we're ranking prospects, I would say you're right too. There's no wrong answer there. It really, you could go with either guy. Rodriguez's bag is so deep when it comes to his stuff. 70 grade fastball, 60 grade slider, curveballs above average, change up flashes plus, and now his command is super strong. This guy could could be it. He literally could be it. And that's what's so absurd about it. And what I really like about Rodriguez is at 6'5", 225, he's only 21 years old. He was a late bloomer in high school, really saw his velo bump up at the very end and became a guy that just shot onto the radar of scouts, eventually getting selected 11th overall in 2018. Rodriguez was seen more as a project, a development type of project, a guy that was going to kind of build into his frame that was going to take time to get his mechanics down and and refine his secondaries. But he was a guy that ended up learning really quickly, really quickly and applying things very, very rapidly and fluidly. And that's what really stands out about Rodriguez is he learns a change up and it instantly becomes a really good pitch for him. He refines his mechanics a little bit, their low effort and his stuff does not diminish whatsoever. He sees his velo jump as the year goes on for consecutive years. I mean, what else could you dream of from a pitcher than a guy that sees his velo continue to rise as the year goes on? Low effort in his delivery, and he seems like a guy that's built to be able to sustain the duration of a season, which is really important because you see that just so frequently nowadays. There's so much concern about workload management and all those things, and of course, you still want to manage Grayson's workload, but he's somebody that could handle that 
180, 200 plus inning workload and I think be okay. And that's rare and incredibly valuable in today's game. You just don't see too many 200 inning guys anymore. And he seems like he can fit that profile. His fastball just has so much life that he can really rely on that plus plus heater to set the baseline. And then the slider is already a wipeout pitch that he tunnels really well with it. So it's very, very tough to pick up as a right-handed hitter. And then if you're a lefty, now he's showing this changeup that all of a sudden, like I said, flashes plus, and you're wary of 97, 98 with life, and then you have a fading changeup. He also has a curveball with some good vertical break that can steal strikes from guys on both sides of the plate. He can give you multiple looks, and his command is strong, and he does just about everything that you could want from a pitching prospect, and not to mention he's only 21 years old. He got swings and misses when I watched him on the slider, mostly, but I also saw him go to the changeup. Of course, the fastball was in second when it comes to swings and misses, and he has a low release point, which is what is really desired from a lot of teams nowadays, especially the Rays, the Astros. A lot of these teams, and Dodgers, of course, want that low release point because it just makes that baseball explode so much more out of their hand and also is so much harder to pick up on the breaking ball. Rodriguez is going to be an ace in this game. He should be another guy that I want to see opening day, not saying he needs to be the opening day starter, but I want to see him on the roster opening day 2022. Do the right thing, Orioles, and hopefully they will. I'm going to get to number three here and then the rest of the top 10 in just a moment. Before I get there, a reminder that this episode is brought to you in part by rockauto.com. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible to find any parts you need at the local chain or auto parts stores. They don't have everything that you need at this point anymore. Why endure the often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning like, is your Odyssey an EX or an LX or whatever else kind of auto parts jargon that you're not familiar with? When you can just go to rockauto.com and use their easy-to-navigate website to find whatever car part you need, any maker model, it's super simple. You find any answer and solution that you need. And also, it's more affordable. You save time and money at Rock Auto. Why choose to spend 30, 50, 100% more for the same parts from that chain store or the dealership when you can just go to rockauto.com and use that easy to navigate website? For example, Honda Odyssey fuel pump, like I mentioned earlier, $353 from the chain store, only $216 from Rock Auto, and they ship it straight to your door. They're a family-owned business that's been serving the do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. Their prices are reliably low for every customer, and they have everything you need from brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, or even that new carpet. Whatever you want, Rock Auto has it. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Right locked on in the how did you hear about us section so they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com also brought to you in part by Bet Online. Bet Online is back and better than ever with a new web interface for the start of the basketball season. More props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online remains your number one spot for all baseball, basketball, and football action this season. Head to their new website and updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. All you have to do is use the promo code Locked On. That's one word locked on and you'll receive your bonus from basketball, football, MLB postseason, NHL, boxing, UFC, or right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers that BetOnline has for the 2021 season. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. BetOnline, 
where the game starts. So let's jump back in here to this top 10. And we got number three. And a reminder too, linked in the description here of this podcast, you can get the little hyperlink to the article to follow along and see the scouting grades and the scouting write-ups as I talk you through this top 10 over at JustBaseball.com. But number three, DL Hall. D.L. Hall looked like he was finally putting it together this year, and it was so upsetting to see him go down with an injury because he was finally doing the things that I was hoping he would do, which was command multiple pitches and feel that confidence with the secondaries. He's always been able to dominate with the fastball, which we put a 65 grade on. You could easily get away with a 70 grade on his heater. He's deceptive. It has life. It's good up in the zone. It freezes guys down in the zone. It's a really good pitch. It's good against lefties and righties, and it sets up his secondaries really well. It's a plus slider from him too, an above average changeup. He has that three pitch mix. The problem with the changeup was he struggled to command it and at times the same with the slider, but he showed much better command this season. So when you have all that considered, he has the stuff and now he's starting to show the command. I was ready to bump D.L. Hall even higher. And unfortunately, he ends up having his season cut short, was dealing with some injury issues with his arm and hopefully all is good with him. But if it weren't for that, I would have had him way up there only, we only saw 31 innings from him, seven starts, but in those seven starts, lowest walk rate we had seen from him in over a year. He was still striking out guys at the most ridiculous rate you could imagine. 16 Ks per nine in seven starts. It's unheard of. 56 Ks and 31 and two thirds innings in double A Bowie. That was just a ridiculous team that they had over there in double A. Unfortunately, season cut short for him. We'll see how he looks next year. But D.L. Hall has all of the makings to be a light out left-handed pitcher. And I think that he could throw enough strikes to be able to stick in the rotation. He just needs at least slightly below average command to be a legitimate pitcher in this game because he has that big time fastball like Tarek Skubal, except it doesn't get it doesn't get barreled as much because he also has the built-in deception. I would say the breaking stuff is better. The slider's more of a swervy type of breaking ball, more of a 10-4 break, as we mentioned in the write-up, but it's in the low 80s. Firm late break on that pitch, and especially when he's locating it to his arm side, it is most effective. I want to see him have it be effective on both sides of the plate, but the changeup hedges that a little bit as well. The changeup is above average with a chance to be plus. When it plays off of the fastball, probably a plus pitch, but individually, maybe just more above average, but has a lot of arm side run and some sink, and he throws it with great arm speed. So it looks a lot like the fastball, which is really important and something you want to see from that pitch. Dio Hall, at the very least, could be a lights-out reliever, a lights-out lefty with that fastball-slider combination, but I don't want to relegate him to the bullpen just yet. Hopefully those elbow issues are taken care of and he's ready to go at some point next season. He has a ceiling of a number two starter, could fall into a number three spot with his stuff. The command is the big, I would say, X factor for him, as it is for so many pitchers, but he's one of the, I would say, poster boys of, if the command comes together, he could be special, and I'm hoping it does because I love to watch this guy pitch, but he does have a great fallback as a light out left-handed pitcher out of the bullpen. Coming in at number four here is Colton Kowser. And I wasn't expecting to put Kowser this high because I know I have him ahead of Gunnar Henderson in our top 100 and just marginally. But when I was doing the top 100 list, that's when I really started to wake up to what Colton Kowser can be. And if you're not familiar with Kowser, if you're not a an Orioles fan, I guess, Kowser was the fifth overall pick in this past draft in 2021. He was an underslot guy, but I wouldn't say it was the same kind of underslot as Heston Kerstad, who went second overall in 2020. Kerstad's a great prospect and obviously has a lot of things going on uh, with the myocarditis, and I'm going to get to that in a, in a moment. 
But still, even that aside, and unfortunately not being able to debut because of those extenuating factors, I always liked Kowser better as a hitting prospect, uh, comparing the two after Kowser was selected, because I think he's a more complete hitter, and I think he's a more complete player. That's not an indictment on Kerstad, it's more of a an affirmation for Colton Kowser, because Kowser has one of the best approaches I've seen from a guy that was just drafted. Mid-major guy out of Sam Houston State, but he has always hit against the good competition. We saw him hit in situations against some of the best pitching that you're going to see in college baseball, whether it was against the lighters of the world or the Kumar Rockers. He never blinked. He looked really good. And through his collegiate career, 76 walks, 70 Ks. I mean, that's just an approach that's going to translate well generally, especially through the lower levels of the minors. And that's exactly what happened. We only got to see a little peak, just a sneak peek of Colton Kowser in professional baseball, but he went straight to low A and all he did in 26 games, 124 plate appearances, or 25 games, excuse me, it was slash 347, 476, 429. His hit tool, I have a potential 65 grade on. He could be a almost plus plus hitter. That's how good of an approach he has and how good of a swing he has. It lives in the zone as Barrow does. He doesn't swing and miss very often. I, I saw a stat from Baseball America, and I'm paraphrasing, but it was something along the lines of he, he had as many extra base hits on fastballs in that collegiate season as he did swings and misses on fastballs. So in a game where it's all about high spin and velo and blowing it by guys, Colton Kowser is somebody that's going to translate well. There's some questions about his ceiling. Yes, he's got the hit tool. Yes, he gets on base a lot. And he's an above average defender in the corners and even is able to play center field a little bit. And if he can stick in center, which I actually think he can, I was really impressed by his reads and I'll get to the defense in a minute, but that adds some value and takes some pressure off the bat if he sticks in center. The big question was the power because he's 6'3", 195, but we haven't really seen the power shine through just yet. Only one home run in those 25 low A games. And while you would expect a bit more power from that 6'3 frame, it's just not quite there yet. His swing is more geared for line drives, which is okay because he hits a lot of line drives, but you want to see more power in today's game. It's just the reality of it. And you got to find that balance, right? You don't want to try to be something you're not if you're Colton Kowser and he's a plus hitter, but you also want to see somebody like him hit for a bit more power, especially if he's not an absolute burner out there, more of an, just an above average runner, fringe plus I'd put it close to above average when you go at the at the running tool there. So with Kowser, I would say you want to see the power tick up. And I think it's going to though. That's the thing. What I was so amazed by with Kowser is the things that you can't teach. He can add some strength. He can adjust his swing a little bit to accommodate some more power. But what you can't teach is his barrel control, his general feel for the strike zone, and his ability to adjust within the same at-bat between pitches. Those were the things that really stood out to me. And those are the things that are really hard to teach. Usually it's harder to develop guys the other way around. We see the tools first guys that you're trying to teach how to hit. That's really hard. Kowser is 6'3", 195, and it looks like he's got even more room in his frame than the average 6'3", 190 guy. Kowser, outside of the top two guys in this system, is as safe of a bet as you're going to find in terms of becoming a major leaguer. How much of an impact major leaguer is the big question, and that's going to boil down to the power and if he can stick in center. If he sticks in center field, which again, I think he can because he makes up for the just above average speed with great routes, he gets great jumps on the ball, and he has a good arm out there and just seems comfortable. That should take some pressure off of the power potential or the power needed. And that's why I see a lot of Brandon Nimmo similarities because he walks a ton and Brandon Nimmo, excuse me, is the walk king. And Brandon Nimmo is a decent defender in center field. 
when you consider all of that, I could see that profile. But I also see a potential for 20 to 25 home runs from Kowser if he's able to add a little bit of strength because he has quick bat, he has the body control, and he has the approach that can accommodate some more power. So I'm interested to see how this all translates. But if he's more of that Brandon Nimmo profile, I think you're ecstatic if you're the Orioles. And he seems like a very high floor prospect for this team and somebody that I think can just drive the ball all over the field and really is just a hit machine. Coming in at number five, and this was somebody that was right behind him. I mean, they couldn't have been any closer. It was 73 and 74, actually, in the top 100 list. Gunnar Henderson. Gunnar Henderson is somebody that I talked a lot about before the season. I really was looking towards him, looking for him to break out this year, and he didn't disappoint me at all. He ended up playing through three levels this year and produced 17 home runs across 105 games between low, high A, and double A. So that is a successful year by any stretch, especially he was 19 for most of the season, got promoted to double A before he turned 20, now 20 years old, and made his way up to double A for a cup of coffee by the end of the year. That is a successful season. The strikeout rate was a little bit high, which is surprising to me because I actually see an above average hitter there with Henderson. Not a lot of movement in his swing, and I've talked about that with this whole system. There is a palpable and very clear approach that the Orioles have to their hitting prospects. They want guys with limited movement in their swing, easy bat to ball skills, and they think that they can add the power later. And I kind of like that. It's similar to the approach that the Cleveland Indians have with their pitchers. They go for guys that throw strikes, that have athleticism and the potential to have a deeper bag of stuff. And it has worked for them with the Shane Bieber's of the world, the Clevenger's of the world, and several other pitching prospects in that system. The only guy that's really more stuff first is Tristan McKenzie. And you got to balance out some high ceiling risk guys with some of the high floor guys you have. You got to always hedge your approach a little bit, which the Orioles do. And I'll get to that in the back end of the system because they have their one volatile guy, I would say. But Henderson, he is way better than his strikeout rate would present, I think. And he kind of ironed out some of the issues that he was having, which was his upper body was just way quicker than his lower body. Part of that was because he is so quick to the ball. His bat speed is ridiculous, but also his bat speed is so good that I really feel like he did not really rely on the lower half as much through his amateur years of baseball because he didn't need to. He could just rely on his bat-to-ball skills and his bat speed to produce the power that was needed relative to the level he was playing at. Now, in professional baseball, it's a little bit harder to hit for that power, and at times it seemed like pitches that he should have been turning on and putting over the right field wall as a left-handed hitter, at times his lower body was lagging behind him, and he would inside out these balls sometimes for a hit, but oftentimes would miss under it, would slice it, and you'd see a bit of a lack of cohesiveness between his upper body and his lower body. He's a strong athletic player who, if he's able to continue to sync up that upper half and lower half, when that's all working together, he's going to be a very scary hitter with some similarities to Brett Beatty. I really think the two have very similar swings. Henderson, though, if he sticks at shortstop, you have a massive value here, and I think he's athletic enough to stick there. And the big question between these two guys is, And the two guys I'm saying is, who's next? Jordan Westberg, six on this list. Both of them got reps at shortstop and third base. And we're on the same team splitting those reps oftentimes. Whoever shows more at shortstop obviously is going to stay there. And the other will stick at third. And that could be the future of the left side of the infield for this Orioles system. Because I love Westberg too, who I will talk about in a moment, probably to wrap up this part one of the Orioles system rundown. And then I'll get to the rest of the prospects tomorrow in part two, which I'm really excited about the rest and the honorable mentions because the back end of this top 10 is really fun. But with Gunnar Henderson, he has way more power than he's demonstrated. And I know he had 17 home runs, but I see 25, 30 home runs, no problem in a full season. And 
potentially even more than that as he continues to refine the rest of his mechanics. He needs to go pull side a bit more. He needs to be able to turn on baseballs, which generally you see young hitters, they're typically the opposite. They're too pull happy. But he was oftentimes missing underballs the other way that were carrying and going off the wall for doubles and sometimes leaving the yard. But the scouting report became pretty clear on him, which was just pound Gunder Henderson hard and inside with fastballs. And in double A, that was more of a challenge in the short stint there. And in high A, even pitchers were starting to do that a bit more. And as we've talked about with prospects on this show, they always say, as you get promoted to the higher levels, pitchers stop pitching to their strengths. They start pitching to your weaknesses more. I expect the 20-year-old Henderson to continue to iron that out. He was able to get a lot of experience against older pitching the whole year. He was pretty much one of the younger players on his team every single level he was at, and that gives him a lot of ammo and a lot of information to be able to apply in this offseason and continue to work on it. What I like about his approach too is you don't see a 30% strikeout rate. That's why I feel like a lot of it was fouling off balls he should have hit, quickly finding himself in a two-strike count, and then getting beat there on some borderline pitches. A lot of his strikeouts that I saw just from the eye test, that was what would happen is he was more so fouling off the pitches he should have hit. And then when you leave it up into the umpire's hands with two strikes in the minors, it's never going to look that good. It's just the zones are ridiculous there, especially through the lower levels. But he hedges that strikeout rate with a strong 12% walk rate that was consistent across all all three levels. That being said, I think part of the reason why the walk rate was higher too was because he was fouling off pitches he should have hit and going deeper into counts and then eventually working the walks as well. So both of those should drop a little bit. I think the walk rate's going to drop a little bit, which is okay because that's going to mean he's putting the ball in play more and also coinciding with that, the strikeout rate is going to drop a little bit more too. He's got a good shot to stick it short. I think that people are a little bit too harsh on him saying that he's going to move. I think his footwork's good enough. His arm's good enough. And while he's not a plus runner, he moves well enough to bring some value on the base paths. But if he has to move to third, his bat will more than accommodate that. His arm will more than accommodate that. And again, he's still just 20 years old. He's younger than a lot of the players that were selected in this year's draft. And now he has three levels of experience under his belt, including double A. And I think he's going to come out next year. And he's one of those guys that I'm watching that could potentially by midseason next year be a top 20 prospect in baseball. That's how much, if he puts it all together, that's how much he could just rise so quickly. And I'm excited to see what putting it all together, as I said in the write-up, looks like for a Gunnar Henderson. Last prospect to talk about real quickly in part one of this Oriole system rundown is the guy that was just outside of the top 100 list and is going to be competing with Henderson, a little friendly competition as to who's going to play short and who's going to play third. And they're on similar tracks. He's a little bit older, but Jordan Westberg, 22-year-old out of Mississippi State, shortstop, third baseman, split time between the two positions, 6-2-205, and just a well-rounded player as well. He was one of my big-time sleepers in the 2020 MLB draft. I saw him play in the Cape. I saw him hit a pair of home runs in his first game there. And he's somebody that the power never, or at least it didn't show itself in college as much as you would like. And that was because his swing is more geared for line drives. And we even saw it in his first professional season where we saw more power than he ever demonstrated in college baseball, hitting 15 home runs in 112 games this past year. But he still had a near 50% ground ball rate. So his swing is still very flat. And that might be okay because he hits the ball so hard that it gets out of the yard. And when he hits the ball in the air, it goes as represented by his 16% home run to fly ball rate, which is well above average uh, when you compare it on a major league scale. And typically the ball sails out a bit easier in the major leagues. So that is a good sign. I would say, though, I'd like to see him get the ball in the air a little bit more, especially if he's going to move to third base where there's a bit more power, uh, I guess, hunger from the position. Still, to do what he did 
15 home runs with a 50% ground ball rate, that's hard to do. And that's a testament to how hard he hits the ball. It's another simple, quiet swing that generates just a ton of hard contact. He just hits the ball hard. I saw him hit a ball, line drive out in the Cape over 400 feet, over 100 miles an hour. I think it was 106 miles an hour off the bat. Just out of there in a second. And he seems to always be more comfortable swinging with wood. I saw it in the Cape and I saw it now in his professional debut. His strikeout rates continued to decline as the year went on in his professional debut. And we saw the home runs start to really trickle in towards the end. He ended up going 30th overall in 2020, despite the fact that his numbers were not that spectacular in college. They were solid, but they weren't anything insane. And that's because I think the batted ball data was really strong on him. And also he fits a lot of the profile of what the Orioles look for in their hitting prospects, which is quiet, simple swings that are geared for line drives with potential to unlock a little bit more power. And that's exactly what I think this guy can do. And Westberg, an above average runner, I think he can stick it short too. So it's going to be a nice little competition and a good situation for the Orioles. They're just going to pick the better of the two guys who are teetering between third base and shortstop. He's an above average runner, swept 17 bags on, I believe it was 21 attempts or 22 attempts this past season between the three levels. He might not be a threat to steal 30 plus bags, but he should be somebody that can steal 10 to 15 a year, hit 15 to 20 home runs, and just play some solid defense. I think that there's potential for 30 home runs. I do. I just don't know if he's going to make the adjustments necessary to get the ball in the air enough, and if he even wants to, because he's a guy that's going to hit 285. I see that type of hit tool, walk a decent amount, keep the strikeouts in check, and bring some athleticism to the game. So maybe he doesn't want to do that. And 285 with 20 jacks and a handful of stolen bases and some defensive versatility or from the shortstop position, you take that any day of the week. I mean, maybe not the defensive prowess of a Dansby Swanson, but a lot of similarities there with the Dansby Swanson. And I think you take that. I think he's got more power potential than Swanson. And we've seen Swanson start to tap into that power this year too. So there's a lot to like there. 20 to 25 home runs, I think is not ridiculous at all with an outside shot at 30. Good defense, athleticism, plenty to be excited about there with Jordan Westberg. And he should be big league ready by the end of next year or by early 2023. He's got all of the tools, even across the board. It's just pretty smooth above average across the board tools. And also just a high floor guy as well, who at the very least will be valuable with the bat and a super utility player because I think he can play shortstop, second base, third base if needed. And I think he could figure out the outfield if you wanted him to. But I think the Orioles are hoping that you have an everyday player here and an above average one. And that's not crazy to think. I'm going to get to the rest of the prospects tomorrow in part two, which is numbers seven through 10. And then the honorable mentions, really excited to talk about those guys. Of course, it starts with Heston Kerstad and then Connor Norby, somebody that I have gotten really excited about as I continue to dive into the system and watch more tape on him and more games on him. I'm huge on Connor Norby. So I'm excited to talk about him in tomorrow's episode as well. A reminder that you can read this full top 10 list at JustBaseball.com. It's linked in the bio here or the description, excuse me, of this podcast. As always, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this part one. And also, I hope you enjoyed yesterday's interview with race prospect Jaden Murray. If you didn't catch that, go check that one out as well. I'll be continuing to run down farm systems the entire offseason. Part two of the Orioles coming up tomorrow. As always, thank you for listening. And I look forward to talking prospects with you tomorrow.